You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Business in Black, where we talk everything um, to start, to grow, and to build your business to success. And today is a show for all the food lovers. Um, We have a fantastic show on food uh, coming up with a good friend of mine, um, Lawrence Wu of Wuju Hot Sauce. And of course, Dr. Hughes coming out of Miami, Florida. Um, But before we get into the show, and we're going to find out all the juicy details about how Lawrence got started, how business is going. I just asked him off air and I told him to hold it. Um, How he started with the idea, which I love, and he's doing very well with the business. And so we're going to delve into all of that and more this hour on how to start a food manufacturing company. Um, But before we do, Lawrence, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Marla and Dr. Hughes. Yes. Um, So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I grew up in the restaurant business. So while not necessarily food consumer packaged goods, still related to to food. Uh, you know, I think why I started it was not only the opportunity within natural specialty and hot sauce, but also because I saw an opportunity to scale a business. Whereas my family, uh, you know, very family run business, uh, you know, it, it was very challenging in terms of the employees and the local ceiling uh, to be able to scale and, when I found a great hot sauce, it just made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, in the restaurants, one of the big differentiators was our sauces. Uh, you know, my parents would go in uh, every week to make gallons and gallons of our proprietary sauces. And uh, when I had an opportunity to kind of create my own and, and bottle my own, I took advantage of that and just went step by step from there. Nice. So what was your, what did you major in, in college? Sure. So I went to Drexel University and I majored in marketing and entrepreneurship. Which is huge because a lot of times people who have a passion for something, um, they have the passion for the art portion of it. And they don't necessarily have the business acumen and skill set that they need to run an efficient business. So I love the fact that you went to school for business and then um, took an idea and turned it into a business. Um, And that's why I know you're so successful because like I say, a lot of people have the idea, but they don't know exactly how to execute it. So I'm sure you're helping not only your own business, but your family business as well. What kind of restaurant do your parents have? Is it your parents, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. They're the owners and I help manage them right now. They have three restaurants in the North Jersey area and Mm. most or all of them are Asian fusion restaurants uh, centered around Chinese and Japanese, Japanese cuisine. North Jersey, you said, right? Yep. Okay, you'll have to send me that address because, you know, I don't live too far now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I will That's be true. checking them out because uh, I am a, uh, you know, a greedy gut for good food. So, 
Um, so, but sauces are, and a lot of companies, a lot of smaller restaurants, especially are taking their secret sauces and profiting off of them, um, to the point of being able to successfully, um, gain more national attention for their restaurant and attract people to their restaurant as opposed to, like you just mentioned, about the struggle that most local um, shop entrepreneurs have. Tell us a little bit about the struggles that you encountered um, with your family restaurant, just like local marketing efforts and all of that, attracting customers into to your um, local restaurants. Right. I mean, it's a lot about loyalty, and referrals. I've recently joined a uh, local business networking group um, where you know you pay dues to be a part of this group, and basically you kind of keep things within the family. And it's just a lot of different trades and, and services that you offer each other. And it's close to that group where you know really you like people that are joining and therefore give them your business. Mm-hmm. And they refer you X amount of business. Yeah. Every week it's, you know, structured around, uh, the referrals. Like yeah, everyone stands up, discusses their business for a little bit and then has an ask. And, you know, there's also a, a chance to give a referral or your thanks for, for so. How, how has that worked out for you? How, what has been your experiences? What are, have you seen any um, significant returns or what is your uh, concept or your idea of um, those kinds of events? Sure. I mean, is this more relating to the restaurant or for uh, the hot sauce? Because I do go there with intention of supporting both and representing both. Both is there is there, do you see a significant difference um, in return for either other two or is it about the same? Yeah, I mean it, the returns are hard to track. I mean, with the restaurant, there have been you know just customers getting more takeouts from that group, and uh, you know if they have some catering needs for Chinese and Japanese, you know we've gotten business there. I mean, it's not insane amount. But uh, to have their support locally is great because, you know, under the covers, I guess there's also, um, you know, the referrals they give to other people that, um, you know, just kind of supporting and giving their testimonials, which we don't necessarily see. Uh, on the hot sauce, and I'm a little bit unique in that, like I said, most of these uh, businesses are trade or services. Uh, I'm coming in there uh, with the intention in mind with the hot sauce for more developmental purposes. Like, you know, are there potential investors I could speak with? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do these guys have uh, like interns or um, like that they know of students that are studying in school locally and, and, you know, potentially mentors, things like that. And that's, you know, it's come out pretty well, uh, but it's not exactly measurable, I guess. Um, I think that's a great idea um, of doing that kind of focus networking. I think I may know um, if it's not the same group, it's a similar group, they're nationwide that does that. And I have been to one of their meetings and it does seem to, I mean, it's a real investment in terms of time and money, but it um, seems to work for a lot of people. So I think that's a great um, way to really 
hedge your bets against which marketing avenue that you should go because like you say at least at least you know the people in the room are going to support you as opposed to like putting out an ad in a magazine you don't know who's going to get it or a coupon in Valpack you don't know who's going to get it and come in um, with that you have more of a focused uh, demographic there so um, in terms of the hot sauce business so Asian fusion restaurants in North Jersey that I'm definitely going to go to and give a great review because I know it's probably awesome because let me tell you, the hot sauce is everything to me. I put, I'm, and this is not an exaggeration. So I'm just going to praise you for a minute because when I got the hot sauce, first of all, Lawrence and I met in New York City. We were both in the city for a food um, investor uh, conference. That's right, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we met there and just kind of, you know, struck it off. And we've been in contact uh, ever since. And I check on him. I haven't in a while. I apologize. I've been in transition. But um, I check on him to see how his business is going. And um, we just, you know, we have a great time uh, talking about the struggles that I had encountering um, in the food businesses. But he seemed to thrive a lot. So this hot sauce is unlike any other hot sauce. When I tell people, Lawrence, about the hot sauce, they're like, yeah, yeah, hot sauce, smash, smash, you know, whatever I've had it. And I'm like, no, you have not had, cause I'm not a hot sauce person. This hot sauce, I put on eggs. I put on my pizza. I put on absolutely everything. I put on my tuna raw out of the pack. Cause I'm one of those weird people that eat tuna raw out of the pack without the flavoring already on it. So I would put it on that. I would put it on almost everything that was savory that I wanted to put on. And it just, it perfumed and it, 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 the flavor palette on it and the heat behind it, it was just everything to me. I would do like a little cheese platter. (laughs) I would just do stuff on purpose so that I could try out. I think I'm going to blame you for gaining weight right now. (laughs) I, I love the hot sauce. Um, And we'll tell you a little bit more about how you can find the hot sauce now that I've talked it up and made your mouth water. But when was the the aha moment for you um, coming out of college and working for your parents in the restaurant? When was the aha moment for you? Like, okay, I think we we're bottling this. We're doing well here, but I think we need to really forge forward and really make this a a big thing because you're bi-coastal now, right? You're on both coasts. You're across the nation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So what was that it factor for you? Right. Uh, Well, so right after school, I started with a uh, pharmaceutical company in sales and, you know, I sort of had a moment where I was like, what am I doing? You know, I'm not, I, I love food and business. And I, although I, knowing that restaurants were not necessarily where I wanted to be, I needed to try to find a way to get in there. And when I was sitting down at a friend's family dinner table and his father brought out his homemade hot sauce we've been having for years, it just really clicked in with me, all the industry trends and all of that. So I just started to experiment with the hot sauce and really what clicked for me, uh, you know, with the opportunity was, okay, let me go on this very popular um, user-driven, community-driven uh, website called reddit.com. And mm-hmm. I ended up giving away over a thousand bottles out, out of my parents' garage. And I was like, look, this is going to be the most efficient way for me 
to understand what people think about it because as you probably already know, you know, people don't really have much of a filter online, right? So (laughs) I figured if I could survive any sort of feedback there and get positive feedback, you know, that'd be great. And, you know, we got a ton of signups more than like, even after we capped out the samples, people were still signing up and we just got very positive feedback uh, about the business. And I was like, all right, you know, that's it. Uh, I think I'm committed enough and I've gotten enough validation for myself to start a Kickstarter campaign and, you know, just kind of went from there. Um, you took my next segue into that because uh, I'm checking out your your website. You've tweaked it a little bit since the last time that I've been on there um, because you ran a very successful Kickstarter campaign. So um, tell us a little bit about um, why you chose that method of funding and then tell us about other methods of funding you've been able to successfully attain. Yeah. Um, so Kickstarter was just a platform that I, I knew was very reliable that had a great reach and, you know, I could have access to so many examples of it. And, you know, I just decided to go forward for those reasons and, you know, did a lot of preparation. I think that's so key for Kickstarter. Um, you know, just every single day having, some sort of marketing effort prepared and leveraging influencers or uh, different press that you've already scheduled and, um, you know, just kind of doing on the ground activities like sampling to help drive that, you know, every day was a real grind and, you know, reaching back to the Reddit community that I first, uh, you know, sampled was also very important in that, uh, in terms of other capital that, uh, well, so I guess Kickstarter wasn't exactly capital. It was basically like a pre-sale mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, give products for revenue. Um, I was on another platform, you know, about a year later called uh, Circle Up, uh, which is focused on consumer packaged goods companies and allows um, companies like me within food to raise capital. So I I was on there, you know, we had all paperwork and uh, pitch deck, you know, the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole set and just develop relationships with investors through that platform. And even uh, angel investors that are not on, that weren't on circle up to begin with um, would then go through circle up to help facilitate the process. So, um, yeah, that's that's really the extent of the race so far. So that circle up race was a series seed, uh, and it's actually mm-hmm. still going on. But I just kind of sort uh, took a pause on the fundraising as I was growing critical uh, pieces of my business. Which is a great place to stop and and take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that dynamic of wearing the hats of everything. Um, CEO to the janitor, to the bottle uh, uh, inspector, to all of that. And so you're listening to Business in Black. And today we are talking about how to start a food manufacturing company uh, with Lawrence Wu of Wuju Hot Sauce. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris.
And we're back. We are having a great show uh, on food. I'm learning a lot from my friend Lawrence Wu of Wuju Hot Sauce. Um, and uh, just found out that he is um, doing extremely well, much better than uh, my business ever went. Uh, easier business, though, I can imagine. The only difficulty you probably have is with the glass packaging, right? Yeah. I mean, shipping that is rough, but when you're dealing with wholesale distribution and selling pallet size, it's not as bad. I guess. Right. It gets a little easier. Um, I remember the early days. I remember the uh, photos on uh, Facebook and the Instagrammer of all the USPS um, padded envelopes that were going out, I would assume, to all of your Reddit people. Uh, for sampling and some for Kickstarter supporters. And uh, mine was definitely in the bunch and will be in the bunch again because I got to order more. Um, but how hard was it starting the company? So you had this great um, family restaurant who was kicking out amazing food, amazing sauces, proprietary sauces, decided, hey, it's my turn to launch something here. How difficult was it starting the business and pulling away a little bit from your parents? And then I know you're back and, you know, helping them, but how difficult was the overall process? That was, it was extremely difficult to justify leaving, you know, my first job out of school, right? I mean, it's part of what my parents had worked so hard for and mm -hmm. dreamt uh, for me as like a first generation American in the family. And, you know, at the same time, they respected, I think, and, uh, you know, became very supportive of the venture very quickly but, uh, you know, they also understood it's like, you know, the overhead expenses, even though mine are pretty minimal considering um, just business in general. Um, but it's like it, it is such a capital intensive business, especially when you're doing things like contract manufacturing, which, you know, so, um, you know, with the order minimums that we have with the contract manufacturer, man managing that, understanding that and then. Also, the overall fundraising process is so challenging. I mean, I think it's very difficult. You think like, oh, okay, you know, I watched a lot of Shark Tank, but the reality is so much different than that, than just like the story. And you have to build such a crazy business case and it's such a language. Right. So, um, so all of that uh, just... You know, you have to be, like you said earlier, just from the CEO to the janitor of the business and mm -hmm. understand that and to learn that in the beginning, it's a very steep learning curve. Right. And so let's come back to that thought of being the CEO to the janitor, because I, again, remember the pictures of, you know, you filling all of those orders, um, making a decision to return home. Right. You were living elsewhere at one point and then you decided to return home. Um, and so um, how does that when do you decide today is the day I need to be the CEO or for these two hours, I need to be the CEO and then I've got to go roll my sleeves up and, you know, become the, the warehouse manager. Or how do you um, how do you juggle all of those hats and how is your growth um, helping you to find? Are you still looking for interns? I know I heard you mention that earlier. Are, or are you at a place now where you've been able to find 
steady support that can come in as you're growing and, you know, move from there and finally get you some, like a COO and all those good people. Right. That's, so that's a pretty timely question because that's something that I'm dealing with now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've always had these different needs come in, these different deadlines come in and it's like you handle them as they come. And to an extent, like if you can handle that, sure, you do that, you prioritize and whatever. But I do need to make a shift into sort of dedicating each day to different aspects of the business to just keep my mind focused. And I think my focus is uh, partially what got me here. So that being said, it's kind of like there's so many needs and opportunities to work on during the day now that I need to start looking at and intern or associate whoever else to help out. Um, but it, it's just been, you know, a crazy time. It's just not because it's busy. It's almost like, you know, you have to hire an intern and therefore, you know, allocate more of a budget there. And then you're like, well, you know, how much do we actually need the intern? And also like, that's going to require work on your end because it's right. like, you know, that you have to teach them the business. Like presumably you're not going to find an amazing person who's been in food before, especially as a growing startup. Right. And even if it does, it just takes a lot of time and you have to incentivize and motivate like Mm -hmm. all these very important things. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll also cover in kind of the workplace I think you uh, you made a valuable point, though, here about um, recognizing when you need to shift. Um, so I think it's a matter of balancing, you know, and understanding, okay, um, you know, knowing the value in investing that time into into your intern or, or whatever and what it might cost you on the back end if you don't do the shift. So I think you made a very, very, very important point here about um, recognizing that it is time for a shift. It's just working through that shift and what's going to be the best um, for you and your business. That's good stuff. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And you hit the nail on the head. So. Well, and that's a hard one because I had interns and I, let me tell you, I had the best interns. So I found my interns for food um, through the supply chain logistics department at a local right. community college. So I hope that helps you to be able to find some really good people because I had, and I know mine was a little different than yours because I actually did my manufacturing myself. So one of the first interns I got helped me set up flow and understand logistics of how the layout of my uh, manufacturing plant should be designed. And then I had um, future interns that came aboard and they set up all of the shipping logistics and all of the um, inventory logistics. And, you know, they, they just, it was like having a fairy godmother come in and really help out um, to clean up what I was doing and really systemize um, the, the warehouse so that it was flowing more efficiently. So interns are great. And, and the thing I loved about community college interns, they weren't flighty because typically they were older. Um, They had been to college, like two of them were um, out of the military. They had gone into the military in lieu of college earlier. And so now they were coming back from that. Um, So they were older and they had more responsibility um, within their own lives that they were responsible with me. And I felt better trusting them with my baby. 
So I think interns are a great place to go, especially as you're emerging, because, you know, you have to decide where cost is going to be allocated and how to, you know, save that money where you could be paying somebody and push it in a different direction to continue to grow the business. So that's excellent. Um, so what's the big, biggest, learn, excuse me, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned thus far? I think the biggest les- lesson is just, it, it's cash flow. Mm. Uh, in this business, it's so difficult. And I think project, projecting is hard and making assumptions and being agile to the different change, changes in the business. Uh, it is hard and takes a lot of time and the, the spending more time doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a very accurate depiction of what you're actually going to receive. Right. So there's so many unknowns and, you know, this kind of relates to investor relations too. Like you have to find something that's a strong, realistic balance for yourself. Uh, and you also have to be optimistic too, um, to not not only yourself but for the investor and you know I think that also drives a lot of entrepreneurs into like a burnout mode too because it's you know if you you could get easily discouraged with that and it's it's kind of like a vicious cycle but it comes from understanding cash flow understanding your planning process um, and it just links to so many pieces of the business. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it's, it's just so unpredictable. Uh, it is unpredictable. Sales, like um, mm-hmm. not only sales movement in your current stores, but really just, you know, with the new wins. I mean, it, one good example was with the hurricane, right? Mm-hmm. When we pitched to a couple uh, different retailers that the presentations went really well. And like some of them were going through negotiations and it's like, well, you know, now there's a giant pause and potentially mm-hmm. like a pause on the whole category review mm-hmm. for the year. And there's like, like kind of a scare and, you know, delays, whatever, but it really impacts the business a lot. So you have to make time to, to make all those changes. That is huge. Um, I know you were at the fancy food show the same year that I was there um, and did very well at um, your your kiosk that you had there. And I remember flying there out of New York and sitting next to a guy that I just, I'm a talker, as you know, and I just struck up a conversation with him and lo and behold, he's a food consultant. So he had a raw um, food company, which is like less than 2% of the food industry. So it did not fare well for him. And when he closed it, when he retired that business, he decided to become a consultant. And he said to me, you know, just what you said, the cash flow is what kills businesses because these behemoths of distributors and um, grocery store chains, they don't care. They don't understand that you're a small corporation. You don't have all of the money coming in and they're like taking forever to pay out. I know there's some vendors that won't pay out for like six months and (laughs) that's hard for a small guy to um, survive off of. So I'm really excited and glad to hear that, um, Things are gelling for you, and I know they will continue to because, like I say, it's an amazing product. Um, so if you had to do it over, the whole thing, what would you do differently? What's your 2020 blind spot right now? 
Well, I think relating to what we were just talking about with cash flow, understanding that a bit earlier, um, but it, it's tough because I think a lot of it was the learning curve of also this industry and how it works, like until you actually see it, mm-hmm. it's difficult. Um, but in year one, I think I just yeah tried to go so quickly that now like I'm kind of slowing down and making sure the infrastructure is ready for mm-hmm. year two. But at the same time, I don't know if I regret that because uh, the goal for my last year, my first full year sales, which was 2016, was to maximize top line sales, no matter what the cost is, because I know that because this is such a capital intensive business, I'm going to have to raise capital. Right. And what investors uh, would likely want to see is just top line sales. Like it doesn't matter if you're profitable or not. So, yep. you know, I took some debt and uh, was like, okay, like let me sprint now and then maybe slow down after I raise capital. And, um, you know, during that time last year, I was like, okay, all the while, um, I'll also be gaining commitments from these retailers. And mm-hmm. so now mm-hmm. it just kind of grew to that. I'm like, okay, now I can slow down. I can explain to the investors that I'm very thoughtfully approaching this very pivotal, it's a very critical time and just doing it in a smart way because a lot of people in our business uh, being that such a, cap- a capital and cash intensive business fail at this point. I, I don't think they stop sprinting and mm-hmm. take a look at this um, the right way before they scale too quickly. And then sometimes, you know, it just doesn't work out. So I don't want to take that risk. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I would have changed it, but I think a better, having a better perspective on cash flow management and mm-hmm. like being more proactive on that uh, would have helped a lot. Mm. Another good point. Another good point. I think that's something we touched on in the previous show about understanding um, that you don't have to do it all and it's okay to, to, to kind of get, get help even if it's just, um, even if they don't do the work, but even if it's just having someone kind of give you some counsel on how to manage certain things in your business because you're wearing multiple hats. But when you when it comes to the finances, that's the one thing you really don't want to kind of lose grasp of, but you want to kind of keep your hands on it. I think that's a very valuable point. Right. Yeah. Thanks. We all loved it. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, do we really have anything to bad to say? No, it's an amazing product. You're doing an amazing job. Yeah. Um, so what's the next direction for you? Um, how do you choose that person in personnel t- ways I'm talking? What's the next direction? Who, how do you choose the person and what person do you choose? Do you choose the COO or do you choose the CMO? Um, and how do you, you know, because basically this is your baby and do you choose family eeks or do you choose a former colleague that you worked with that can handle that responsibility? How, how, I know that's the the decisions you're about to have to make. How do you go and choose that? That's a hard, I can't even think about who I would choose besides my mama, (laughs) but she's full time. So how are you going to go through that process? Um, you know, really make sure between networking and just getting the numbers out there in terms of the number of people, I, new people I'm speaking with, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to see, because there's not really one dedicated person I'm looking for necessarily. I'm looking for someone who can 
play a lot of different roles, but it's just difficult to kind of go out there with a very particular target because, you know, you're not only on a time restraint, you're on just um, like a resource constraint anyways. So mm-hmm. have to be really open-minded. Um, I think for me, maybe someone, um, you know, who could fill that CFO position because I was never a math mm-hmm. person, but I'm very happy and grateful that I've had the opportunity to kind of get thrown into the fire in this because I can really understand that. And uh, at the same time, it's kind of like with these investors coming on board with the need to raise capital in such um, such a business, you know, it would help free up a lot more time and, um, you know, be able to push me to go towards my strengths within sales and marketing and grow the business if I can have someone managing more on the back end mm-hmm. financials and operations. Well, thank you so much. I know you got to get going. Um, I, I'm just excited over the moon, excited for what's going on with you. Um, tell us where we can find it online in stores everywhere. So we can all become Wuju lovers. Like I am, if you have a sandwich board, I am more than willing to wear it for you to get to buy your product because it is amazing. So tell us where we can get it. Well, first off, thank you guys. Thank you for all the support, uh, you know, these past two years that I've known you, um, Marlo, especially, you know, it's like right when I was beginning, I think I was just in the campaign, Kickstarter campaign process Mm -hmm. that I met you. So it's very early and, you know, I'm just happy to have both of your support um, through this uh, very difficult journey. And I know you guys get it. Um, as far as where to find our product, I mean, wujuhotsauce.com, uh, com, or amazon.com. You can, you can find it there. Uh, and then we have a great store locator as well on our website. Uh, so definitely check that out because it very, I'm pretty diligent about, you know, getting the exact locations on there. Um, but you know, if, you, if anyone has, uh, feedback on, you know, maybe it's not in the store or, uh, opportunities, uh, or whatever it may be, you know, you can always contact me at info at wujuhasas.com. That's fantastic. Well, I know I'm going on Amazon and ordering mine too, maybe not today, but I'll order it in the next week. Maybe I will do it today, but uh, you definitely should do it today. Um, Lawrence Wu, owner, CEO, founder, head chief, everything, um, and innovator of Wuju Hot Sauce. You can find it online, www.wujuhotsauce.com dot com uh, connect with him show him some love i know they have a facebook account they have an instagram account you definitely will just be sending me all kinds of love letters because you will try it and you will love it and then post pictures for him so he knows how you use it because i know he takes those and sometimes will share it with other people um so uh, lawrence thank you so much and uh, we're going to take a short break and you're listening to business in black and we'll be right back You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. All right. 
righty. And we are back. Uh, you're listening to Business in Black, where we talk about uh, everything to start, grow, and build a successful business. And today, we were joined earlier in the show by uh, Mr. Lawrence Wu as we talk about how to start a food manufacturing company. And uh, we were just recapping on his amazing success, um, wujuhotsauce.com, W-U-J-U hotsauce.com is his company. It is amazing. Trust me, if you don't like hot sauce like me, this is the hot sauce for you, honey, because it is not just a regular hot sauce. It's like infused with all kinds of goodness. He has this mango habanero hot sauce that is my personal favorite. And then he has the extra hot sauce, but it's so unique in flavor and it goes so well with so many things. Like you just, I'm telling you from eggs to pizza, to hamburgers, to hot dogs, to anything that you want a little savory kick, not a lot of heat. You know how sometimes hot sauces will overwhelm your mouth and then you can't taste anything. That's not this. It enhances the flavor palette. It is just amazing, amazing, amazing. And I know as he listens to the rest of this interview, he's going to completely blush, but I love it. And it's okay because he's my friend and I'm here to support him. I told him, honey, I will wear the sandwich board for him whenever (laughs) he needs me to, because this stuff is amazing and everybody should try it at least one time. Don't knock it until you try it. But I really love his story, Dr. Hughes. We were talking about that. His story is like everything. um, Because he was in Philly at one point. And then he made a very difficult decision because we all love our independence, right? And he decided, um, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to start this business. And when I met him, we he was just doing the Kickstarter. He wasn't even yeah. in stores yet. And then next thing I know, we're following up, we're, we're talking, I'm, I'm giving him whatever advice for business growth I can. And the next thing I know, he's brokering a contract with a large um, um, natural food store out on the West Coast. And then today, when he said 600 stores, I just felt all kinds of amazing feelings for him and all kinds of just proud and just, uh, I could cry, but I'm not going to, but ah, much success to Lawrence, my friend, Uh, much success is coming. Um, So let's get a little bit in and unpack some of the things that he was saying in the first half hour, because it was so much good meat. Um, I know Dr. Hughes, you made a lot of good notes. I saw you over there making good notes um, about the consciousness, I think for, and he's a young man. He's not an older person. No. He's in his 20s still, and he's a young man. I think he's still in his 20s. He is still in his 20s. But he's making some very considerate and conscious choices about how to develop his brand, how to build his brand, and how to execute that which he sought out to do, which was to launch this uh, proprietary sauce that he created with his family and his family's um, restaurants in North Jersey, which I am going to visit. But let's talk a little bit about the logistics of food business, Dr. Hughes. I know you are a professor and you teach um, in the food industry. So, and you've worked in hotels and all of that stuff. Let's unpack some of the logistics of doing business in the food industry because it's not easy. 
it is probably one of the most no, difficult all, industries this to be in. Yeah, and, and that's the first thing I want to let everybody know. You have to be realistic about the food industry. It is competitive. It is extremely, extremely competitive. If you and, and, and this is whether you're doing manufacturing or opening a restaurant, it's competitive. That's why you see so many restaurants open in one minute and three months later. They don't even last three months. Some last six months. Mm-hmm. If you make it a year, you're doing good. But it's mm-hmm. very competitive. Um, it's demanding and it is a beast. It will eat you alive. And I'm not saying saying that to scare anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that to so that you walk into an industry or business with your eyes wide open because of, and you have to get real because it can, it's expensive. It's not cheap. Right. And you can't go cheap because people are going to know. One thing about food is if it ain't good, I don't care how much of a salesperson you are. If nope. it's not good, folks will eat you alive. Mm-hmm. And like like Lawrence told you, he said people have no filter online. Mm-hmm. And we have online reviews now. Back in the back in the day when I was coming mm-hmm. up, you didn't have online. There wasn't the internet like it is now. So you didn't have online review. Now folks brutal. They hide behind the computer, they hide behind the phone and they they fire off. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there. You can have a great concept, but if it doesn't taste right and if you don't market it right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> over. I mean, and we're talking about high-end luxury restaurants yes. that open in time for South Beach Wine and Food Festival in Miami. And six weeks later, after the festival, they would have been in the establishment for three months and closed. Right. And we, we're talking like top chef people, like people mm-hmm. who are like you see them on TV. Right. They don't make it. It's, right. It's just it's a beast. And you have to understand your market. Yes. Um, and you have to understand. that. And the more more saturated the market, the harder. Right. It is. It's just it's just it's Miami just is like unfortunately it. saturated. New it's over saturated. You know, a lot of your big cosmopolitans are saturated. So right. that's what I love about his hot sauce is that he right. took a saturated industry yeah. of Tabasco and hot sauce and tweaked it to create his own lane and is just I'm telling you, get the hot sauce. You will thank me and you will never go back to regular hot sauce. Well, first Um, of all, the flavor profiles, he was smart with the flavor profiles because who's mixing mango? Nobody. Mango and habanero. You don't, you rarely see fruit flavored hot sauce, to Mm -hmm. be honest. And I I know that because I mean, even uh, at least stateside and, you know, so it's like she said, he found a market and he just tweaked it and he just went a high-end luxury because that is a market. But you have to understand high-end luxury is not easy. It's just as hard to penetrate. It's just because you have to find that market. You mm-hmm. might say high-end luxury, but you still have to find high-end luxury. And Correct. places like Whole Foods and stuff, they're not going to take risk on you until you start building a brand and yep. you can show them that it will sell. So guess what? He did a lot of legwork. Mm. He did a lot of footwork to, and and it's a, it's an investment to get to where your market is and get it in front of people, um, and to get those reviews and all that stuff. So, um, I, again, kudos to him for that because I mean he pushed and he persisted and he made a lot of sacrifices. And that's please understand and hear my heart. If you're not ready to sacrifice. No, nope. don't do it. Don't this even, isn't the industry don't even bother. I'm gonna be honest with you. you yeah. This is an industry where you really have to sacrifice. And they talk about hustling and grinding. Yes. When it comes to food, I don't care if it's manufacturing, restaurant, catering. Listen, 
Mm-hmm. You really have to be ready to sacrifice. I'm talking about money, time, energy, brain cells, physical. Yes. I mean, in every way, you have to be ready to sacrifice. And if that means doing what, I mean, moving into your family's basement or whatever you have to do, if you have to be ready. I mean, even independence, privacy, yes. you don't have yes. none because none. everything that you're sinking into it. It's God, you have to believe in it and know that you have it, but it's mm-hmm. work and it's a sacrifice. And um, people like Lawrence Wuju, he did, he, he made a lot of sacrifices and um, I'm telling it's paying you, off. It's, it's paying off. 600 mm-hmm. stores. That's 600. huge. That's huge. 600. And, he's and coming and up on his, his year anniversary. One year. Um, I, I just How many years? Read the description. Cause I know she, we mentioned mango. So for all you people who are going to be like <laughs> mango, that's going to be sweet. <laughs> no, no. It's a very, you well balance thought those out balance of flavors, but off yeah. of his website, wujuhotsauce.com, it reads, which is all true, wholesome, all natural ingredients, including agave nectar, mango, curry, habanero peppers, and Thai-inspired spices. This is the, the gospel, right? This part. Once you try it, you'll understand why hot sauce lovers from around the world are quickly making Wuju their new staple add-on for every meal. If that ain't the gospel truth, I don't know what else is because I did. Um, I put it on my sandwiches. I put it on everything I could get my hands on to because I put it, you know what my favorite upgrade with it was? Canned soup. When canned soup, and I would put a little in that and stir it in together, woo, it just, because normally I would just do pepper and, right. um, you know, pepper a little, maybe it's already salty, but just a little pepper. But this right. just gave it this flavor that was just, uh everything. But you know, as you so, do that description, I think chocolate, like that probably ooh, would pair yes. very well with chocolate. Yeah. So now I got to order would pair very, That, would, that yeah. would pair well with, mm-hmm. with chocolate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just have to think, you know, I mean, cheese and, you yes, know, he's going for the upgraded, again, luxury. So mm-hmm. you have to think cheese parties and cheese platters mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. just, a, just a little sausage, just put them just like you would a fig, um, like a fig spread with cheese. You could do the same mm-hmm. thing with That's this hot so sauce. Good. My mouth is yeah. this morning. <laughs> um, so let's talk more about these logistics in business um, for the right. food business. So there's a lot of things that you'll have to do for the food industry. So a couple of tips, according to AmericanExpress.com, you know how I love to find my little research dealies. Um, You need to learn the regulations in your local area. That's for your city, that's for your county, and for the state. Um, So there are laws that will allow you to create certain foods at home and then sell them in person at like um, farmer's markets. But please be aware, Instagram food manufacturing people, this does not mean you can make hot plates on Instagram and then sell them because they are shutting people down and finding them because that was a real thing a couple years ago. I think people are still trying to do it and that is illegal. These drinks and stuff. Yes. Don't do that. 
Like just please. like they're finding drug dealers. Right. They will find <laughs> you. So you they're have cottage laws. Correct. You need they, to know the cottage laws. C-O-T-T-A-G-E. Please look up the yes. cottage laws for food in your state. Please. Yes. So it allows the, things like brownies, cookies, yes. um, baked goods, things that have been baked. And then you can go to and present them at a farmer's market. And you can find a farmer's market in your local area. They're pretty inexpensive. You can mm-hmm. set up a little table. You can set up, you know, um, a tent and all of that. And then you can sell your, um, your baked goods there, bread. That's a good one. Um, So all of those sorts of things you can do under the cottage law. It has to be done in person. It cannot be done over the internet. Um, As of the last time I checked cottage laws, they could have changed, but it has to reach um, an amount sold per year is under a certain threshold. Those are the points for cottage law. Most of the time you have to be cooking in a commercial kitchen. And here's the thing, you know, it's... it's one thing to promote, but if you're, if you, some people I've seen to where people are actually in a commercial kitchen and mm-hmm. they're showing, and that's different. Okay. We're, I'm not talking about people who are doing it right. And you're, you know, you're showing that you're in a commercial kitchen. Listen to me, you can rent space and time in a commercial kitchen locally. It is very affordable. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of cities actually have, um, kitchen incubator. Mm-hmm. You can rent space in a commercial kitchen yes okay because most cottage laws a lot of them um from state to state florida is one of them where you <laughs> please know you need a commercial kitchen well there are lots don't. of cities but and some, some don't, don't but i know yes. florida does florida, florida does, does. Yes. there's a couple of them but just know that you know look up the like look up the cottage laws and know what your state requires because some of them you can be at home in your kitchen and you know like roasting coffee beans that's nothing you know that's you know it's okay but just look it up and know but if if your state requires a commercial kitchen know that it's not a big deal it's not a big hurdle you can just there are reasonably priced commercial kitchens that you can rent out um and do whatever you need to do and keep it to moving just don't. I think that's do the biggest right way, so logistic of, of business <laughs> that you should know is that stay within the laws because that's where yeah. you will get tripped up and that's where they will shut you down. Uh, the yeah. other thing to it is, um, in my opinion, you should be an LLC. You should not be doing this as a sole proprietor. You should not be doing this as anything other than an LLC or higher. If you tra- right. if you're trying to raise money and in, in series um, and all of that, getting complicated with C and S corporations, which you need to consult with a tax advisor um, for what type of legal structure you should have for your business. But the reason why I say you need an LLC at minimum is because of the risk. If somebody eats your food, and if somebody um, it's sick, then it's a huge risk and they're coming for you. So you yeah. want that LLC in place to help circumvent any and mitigate your risk of being in business. Um, another tip for starting a food business is what's your differentiation point? This is with any business. Like with, with the hot sauce that Lawrence is selling, well, it's mango, Thai spices, it's curry, it's something completely, the flavor profile, the flavor profile. completely different than any other hot sauce that you'll ever pick up off of the shelf. So, but 
if you heard him in the beginning of the show, his source was, I can't just tell people that it's different. They've got to taste it. So he had to get the taste test out there. So no, and please, I hope you heard, go back and listen to the beginning of the show, how money intensive food is in the beginning, because you've got to give a lot away for people to taste the difference that you're claiming Mm. it is. And they've got to, you know, touch that several times over um, before they start to want to invest in it. So know that you need the capital up front um, to um, to get into the, the the food game. It's just not a, a easy industry to break forward into. Right. And and if you're looking for investors, trust and believe you're still going to have to have a lot of your own resources up front because it's so risky. It is. And right now, a lot of investors, when it comes to food, they're 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 very cautious. They're not they're not jumping in head first into anything when it comes to food because it's competitive. And so, like she said, he had to have a lot of upfront expenses and and stuff to get those testimonials that this has traction and it will continue mm-hmm. to have traction, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot. It's very labor intensive and it's very financially intensive, especially food period, food period. Financially um, and physically so. intensive. Yes. Um, so um, anyway, getting in the food industry is not an easy feat, but it is a definite um um, definitely something that you can get into because people thrive at it every day. We just heard a right. great testimonial from Lawrence. And so when we come back for the last bit of the show, we're going to talk more about the practicality of starting a food business. Um, so you're listening to Business in Black and we'll be right back. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. And we are back uh, with this episode of how to get started in the food manufacturing industry. Uh, This is Business in Black, and we talk all things starting, growing, building a business. Um, We were joined earlier by um, WujuHotSauce.com owner, uh, Lawrence Wu, and um, just basking in his as an amazing success and um, just really with all sincerity, wish him the best and know that um, hopefully by this time next year, you would have tried it and he would be ha- not, I don't even want him to double. I want him to like, what's after quadruple? Like I want him to quintuplet. just, yeah. <laughs> it's up into the quintuplets. Like to the a millionth, to the a millionth degree for him um, and just take over his industry category. So for food, um, so food is not an easy industry to be a part of. It's very labor intensive. So whether you're on a manufacturing end or you're from a catering standpoint, a chef, like it is hard on the body. Um, I had a food manufacturing company and I decided to go with a food truck. Um, in retrospect, if I had to do it over again, I would have done a location. The reason why is because I feel like it's a little easier to build a core presence, but it's also difficult to build a core presence, especially if you don't have a consumer base, if you're in the wrong location. So there's so many different factors that goes into that. It's almost like 
uh, six hand, six in one hand and half a dozen in the other of dip degrees of difficulty. So let's just talk about some of the practicalities of where to sell. Like I just mentioned a food truck. Um, so I would take the food truck out and I would go to the farmer's market. And instead of having a tent, that would be my attraction point which people are loving food trucks. Like I know in Atlanta, they have an entire food truck park. Uh, I know they're in South Florida. They have uh, entire, uh, they've integrated their farmer's markets with food trucks and they have events that you can go through to, especially in the South where it's warmer longer and in Florida where it's warm all year round. Um, It's a really good um, way to go, a food truck. The reason why I chose a food truck and I didn't know this in the beginning, but it really helped me out in the manufacturing process process um, because it served as my kitchen, my certified kitchen in my warehouse where I produced the food that I I had. So it it turned out to be a great duality for me. So that is a possibility for those of you who are considering that route of take, I had a raw warehouse space. And then with the food truck parked in there, I was able to certify my whole venue um, as a food manufacturing facility. But uh, Dr. Hughes, where else could people sell? Where else do you think is a good idea to sell? Well, I think, it. Um, you know, we talked about this one time before partnerships. Um, think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. If there are events that you mm-hmm. can go to, and I'm not talking about food-focused events. Yeah, you can do food-focused events because, yeah, you know, but... <clears throat> Like the Miami Design District, it's a it's it's a shopping area. Mm-hmm. Guess what they're doing now? Food trucks. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have food truck events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so partner with farmers markets. They, here we have people who uh, that's all they do is coordinate farmers right. markets events. Right. Partner with those people and see if you can get with them, or find other events that's going on in the area where they may not think about food trucks and put it in their heads that hey, you got this event. What kind of food are you offering people? Mm-hmm. And because some people don't think about that, you know, concerts, you right. know, especially when they have concerts in the park. You know, maybe think about that. Here's another one that people don't think about: apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. If you have a food truck. Go to apartment complexes and pitch a food truck night. Mm -hmm. If they're not doing it and you pitch it and it's not costing them anything but space in their parking Mm -hmm. lot, guess what? You have captive audience because people, especially if you're right in the front, when people drive in and they come home, they're coming Mm -hmm. in and out, they see you sitting Mm -hmm. there. Guess what? Well, I don't have to cook. Food truck night. Right. I know um, a hot dog guy who had a hot dog card. He could pack $5,000 worth of hot dogs on that card and he would go to like um, Ikea and set up or he would go to the parking lot. He would get permission from the the store, but he would go right. to the very far end of their parking lot and set up and was just killing it. He would go to shopping centers um, and just set up on the very outskirts, you know, that place in the parking lot where yep. nobody is going to. That's where he would set up. It would be closest to the road. So people off the road would come and all of that. So another place to sell that I sold to was high-end boutique um, hotels. Yeah. Um, who are looking for innovative foods Mm -hmm. um, to present to their consumer 
space. And I know a lot of cruise ships as well are looking for different and unique um, partnerships. I know there's one cruise line right now who um, their whole um, marketing strategy is when we stop in XYZ port, we go off and get the local fares and bring them back Mm -hmm. on our ship and cook them. Additionally, they're growing their own herbs on cruise ships and whatnot. So that's another way to get your product out there. So um, let's talk a lot, a little bit in this last couple of minutes about the mechanics of selling. Because one thing that I think Lawrence, if I'm, if I remember uh, correctly, highlighted was the fact that uh, his branding had to be together. Uh, he has amazing packaging. So go on wujuhotsauce.com and you can see it. I mean, everything about it just speaks his Asian background. It speaks the language of what you're going to find in the bottle. It just works for his product. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I will go into stores just to look at products on shelves. And let me tell you, people are turned off by some of the products um, appearances, um, the packaging appearances on the shelves. Everything has to be unique. Yes. But everything should be consistent. For example, there is an ice cream on the shelves right now that I've had that is like $12. You heard it, people, $12 a pint. And it looks like a fourth grader wrote the name of the ice cream flavor on the packaging. I bought it because that was one of the products that I was selling just to test the competition. But if I, if it wasn't for that purpose, it would have been a very big distraction and a very big turnoff for me. And for most people, um, when I spend $12 on a pint of ice cream, You've put me into a luxury market and I want it to look, feel, I want some gold glitter sparkle. I need some pixie dust and leprechaun juices to drink. I need some stuff for $12. So um, that was not smart marketing and branding to me because it didn't give me that appeal that I should be sitting on Rodeo Drive in my Bentley um, eating this ice cream with a 24 karat gold, solid gold spoon. You understand what I'm saying? Right, so right. It, where to sell it is important, but how it looks is, is the most important to me um, to resonate with your consumer base, your target market, and the audience that you're trying to reach. Well, I think it boils back to the episode where we talked about, please, please, please consult with people who are the professionals. Like mm-hmm. if, 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 you, if you know marketing... And design is not your thing. You are really into R&D. Like you're really into your product. But all that other stuff is not you. It's okay. Like we like we talked to Lawrence today about making the shift and, and what's it worth to you on the back end in the long mm-hmm. run. In the long run, you probably need to just get it done. You don't want to keep rebranding. It's, it needs to be right. Especially in the beginning, it needs to be right. Like it's got to be the colors, the script, the font, everything. Like she said, it looks like a fourth grader wrote it and I'm spending $12 for a pint. Lies you tell. It, to mm-hmm. me, it's going to sit there. Because I want to feel like I'm valued, like I'm going to get value Mm-hmm. in this you know why do you think people buy ben and jerry's ben and jerry's is very playful everything mm-hmm. about ben and jerry's is playful so everything about their products even the name it plays into everything and has a very look and feel and it's this and it's that everything is on purpose and it's intentional and it attracts people. even to Linty. 
You know, mm-hmm. all of these different things that are in that higher end, they're in kind of what be considered mid-tier, um, mid-tier mm-hmm. luxury or whatever. But they, even with their flavors, everybody's sticking to what they know, but they, they, it's, a, it's a reason behind everything. And when it comes to food, People eat with their eyes. Yes. That includes your packaging. Okay? Correct. Like just like if you go to a restaurant, if somebody brought you your food and you can read it and 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 and, and the menu is great and you can just taste it in your mouth, but they deliver it on the garbage pail league, you're not gonna want to eat that. Right. Because it's right. in the presentation. It's yes. the same thing with food manufacturing. It's in the presentation. It's it's the packaging is your presentation. Correct. And if it doesn't look like I'm it has to is. appeal to people. Yeah. That's it. It has to. It's got to do it. Has it has to. Has I, to. Uh, one of my colleagues that worked with me at the luxury boutique hotel that I was at, um, uh, Almonte Cookies, he's an Italian baker, third generation, amazing cookies. And he, uh, another way to sell is what I've progressed on to. He um, does gift baskets for companies. So that's another thing that you could take your packaged product good and start making gift baskets um, and presenting them to companies to say thank you to their guests. So um, that's another way that you can sell your product. Um, So there's just all different kinds of ways to sell. There's all different kinds of ways to um, present your packaging. Um, There's all different kinds of ways to get in. Let me tell you the most difficult way to sell is, and the reason why we've saved it for last, is getting in the store. So big ups, big kudos to, to Lawrence over at wujuhotsauce.com um, because getting in 600 stores is no small feat. Let me tell you something. You deal with shelving fees. You can, and not every store, but a lot of stores for competition will have, you know, it's about placement. Yes. And people place, um, pay for, excuse me, pay for the placement. And um you know, shelving fees can get astronomical and um, having that visibility in the right place at the right time. Um, also, buybacks from vendors can be costly right. to your organization. So a buyback is when, uh, let's say Dr. Hughes is a grocery store, chain of grocery stores, and she agrees to 500 bottles of my you know, whatever sauce it is. And she says, okay, I'll give you X amount of time to sell them. And if not, then we're going to start to discount them. Well, that discount, guess whose pocket that comes out of? Not theirs. It's going to come out of yours. Right. Um, the other things you have to, so you, and then after that expired time, whatever you haven't sold, they, you literally have to buy it back from that particular grocery store. Another thing that you may run into are the discounts and concessions that they want. So they want to put it on sale to attract people to that product and say, hey, it's 25% off today. They're going to take that out of your bottom line as well. So a lot, like he said, and again, go back. And if you're interested in food manufacturing, really listen to the interview portion that we did with Mr. Wu, Lawrence Wu over at wujuhotsauce.com because um, uh, although he doesn't go into grave detail, he really helps to explain and for you to understand the, the challenges um, that we go through in the food industry because they are real and they are costly. And Absolutely. if you don't have the fortitude and the wherewithal and the wind to keep up, then it's probably not the, the best. Just keep cooking for your family and friends and, you know, and that's okay. And your church members and all of those people. So um, really good show, really meaty show, no pun intended, um, (laughs) 
on the food, but you know what? That show would be, ooh, on some turkey, leftover Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Lauren, she's <laughs> she still on that. Well, she's, over here. she's still on that mango. <laughs> yes, that mango on that turkey on it, and make a sandwich with the stuffing. And can you imagine a little cheese on there? Make a little grilled cheese turkey stuffing dressing, hot sauce, wuju hot sauce. Not just hot sauce, honey. Wuju hot sauce. I feel hoity-toity with the hot sauce now. Like, oh, that's what you eat? Mm. No, honey. <laughs> hot sauce, right? I love it. So, um, if you're looking to get started into the food manufacturing uh, industry, um, it's possible, but you just have to know what you're getting into. Please research. Please do your diligence. Of course, as always, I'm available um, as a business right. consultant for that. You can go on my website, businessintelligencecoaching.com, or you can uh, talk to Dr. Hughes about it uh, because she is in that industry as well. Dr. Hughes, I don't know why I ask you this every time. Run us down your... Um, your, um, not your credentials, but your your. You can um, you can reach out to me at uh, www.globalmentorcoach all one word dot com. Yeah, and um, yeah, we're here. You need help. We're here. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, give us a shout out, and in the meantime, continue listening to show. Tell your friends about the show. Have you not already? What's up? Come on. Tell your friends about the show. Uh, get them to follow us. We send out, uh, you know, good tidbits and uh, follow the blog and all of that goodness. You're listening to Business in Black, and we're a weekly podcast where we talk about everything starting, growing, uh, and building a successful business in the marketplace. And we hope you've learned something today, as always. Um, so have a great rest of the day, and we'll talk with you next time. Awesome. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris.